creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to Creative Pep Talk, a weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm Annie J. Pizza, I'm a New York Times bestselling author and illustrator, and I will be your guide on this creative expedition. Let's go. The amount of things that we have to do to be creators these days is completely and ridiculously overwhelming. If you wanted to be a writer or a filmmaker or a musician or an illustrator or a designer, you probably wanted to do those things, design or illustrate or make movies. But no matter how much success you've had on your creative journey towards that goal, you probably have found that doing those things become just a fraction of what it means to pursue that path. And you probably feel more like a professional emailer or now you got to make videos and now you got to do podcasts. You got, there's just so much stuff that you have to do that has nothing to do with what you want to do. And if that's you, this episode is for you. If you stay to the end of this episode, I'm going to share with you three magic words, not not like fake magic, real magic, according to brain scientists. Brain scientists. And those three words will help you ask three questions that can have a dramatic effect on your life and your mindset and your situation that you find yourself in right now. Let's go. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anniejpizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. 
If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. I'm pretty overwhelmed right now by the the world, everything, just every second of the day. It's just so much. And I honestly, most of the time, do not know what to do about it. And my guess is you're somewhere in that zone as well. You probably have heard of the idea of Dunbar's number. If you haven't, I'll just very quickly explain what I think it means. It's this idea that we evolved as a species to deal with about 150 people in our community, in a tribe, and that we can kind of handle that amount of humanity and problems and birthdays and just names. That's about what we can handle And I don't know if you've noticed, but our communities have gone far wider than that. The amount of stuff that we are trying to deal with at this age is a little bit more than that. And it's no wonder that we're all really, really struggling. And I think when I look back to when I was a kid, even then I was deeply overwhelmed. That was like pre-internet explosion. I think the internet existed, but it wasn't anything like it is now. And I look back when I'm a kid and I'm thinking, of course, I could barely contain the multitudes of stuff going on when even the first phase of Pokemon had 151 characters was more overwhelming than what we could remember. Not to mention that, I don't know the last time you checked in on where Pokemon is, but it's something like 10 times that. It's it's something like uh, 1,500 Pokemon. Is that 10 times it? This isn't a math podcast, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to check the math, but it's a lot. There's too many. There's too many Pokemon, like Mudflap and Dimble Slips. Are those real Pokemon? You don't know, neither do I. And it's getting just completely out of hand. And I think it's indicative of the general state of things. And so what do you do? Look, I don't have all the answers, but I do know that on a regular basis, as a creator, I can find myself deeply distracted, deeply overwhelmed, not really knowing how best to spend my time. I can feel like I have focus for five minutes and then I open Instagram and I'm like, oh, I should be doing that. Oh man, I should be focused there. Like, and you have all these people like, oh, you know what you need to do? You really need to get on clip tops snorts. It's kind of like YouTube shorts, but they're backwards and you can put secret messages in it. Is that a real app? I don't know. And neither do you. You're checking the app store for that because you're like, could be. I mean, it definitely, honestly, it sounds like it's real. Um, that's where that's where we're at, people. What do you do when you find yourself in that zone?
So the thing that has been helping me most with the overwhelm of what I have to do as a creator to get by or to get anywhere or to level up has been to shift my claim to frame. Now, I know that doesn't make any sense, but let me explain what I mean by that. So when I look back to when I was a kid, my creativity really knew no bounds. I was doing anything and everything. I'm guessing if you're a creator, you were probably like that too. It's not like a unique story. I was making letters for friends with drawings and pictures and stories. I was making comedy videos and skits with my cousins. And probably my number one prized possession back then was this talk boy that I got for Christmas. Talk boy was this thing that Kevin McAllister had in Home Alone 2 where he would record himself. It was like a little voice recorder, but it looked super futuristic, back to the future like. And I got one of those for Christmas and I was freaking obsessed. And I used to walk around in the woods and make fake radio shows with my friends. And so we just made tons and tons and tons of stuff. But as I got older, I got the impression or grownups even told me, like, you can't do everything. You don't get to do it all. You have to choose one thing to focus on for your career. And I chose illustration because I had some talent or skill in drawing. I had some resources like pencils and papers. I had those things that uh, were actually professional tools in that direction. And I thought, all right, I will choose this kind of creativity. I want to be an illustrator. But as I have got into the practice, I have started to get really annoyed and really overwhelmed by the fact that making pictures and drawing is such a small fraction of what it means to try to build a practice around illustration. You know, I have to make freaking emails Email. all day. I have to create silly videos to get anybody to pay attention to what I do on Reels and TikTok. And I have to make this podcast every single week in order to just keep the thing chugging along. But as I started reflecting on all this, I realized that what is a podcast other than a fake radio show made with friends? And what is a reel or a TikTok other than a dumb comedy skit? And what is email other than having pen pals that just never stop writing to you? I can't redeem email fully. I thought about what it would look like if childhood me that was being forced to choose one expression of their creativity, if they could come see what I do now and see what I do on a regular basis, what might they say? Would they say, man, you got a lot of stuff you got to do? Or would they be like, wow, you get to do everything. You get to do all of it. And this shift isn't just a little mindset trick that's some kind of toxic positivity. The more I dug into this, the more I realized that this, this shift from having things put on you to getting to 
do things. Choosing the things that you have on your plate isn't just a thing that sounds nice. It has real science behind it. And it's a complete and utter game changer. And so when I say that we need to shift the claim to frame or that I have shifted my claim to frame and it's dramatically helped me, what I mean by that is getting to do something and having to do something. Getting and having, those are your claim on something. It's how you possess something. And all of the things that are the obstacles in front of you, whether you get to do them or you have to do them, dramatically changes how you feel about them on a neurological level. This idea that you need to make this shift from I get to go pick up my kids or I have to run today versus I get to run today. This is a shift you've probably heard of. It's a thing that uh, it's a mindset shift that gets talked about a lot. But the second thing I want to talk about is how I internalize this and bought into it in a way that made a dramatic difference in my life. The second piece is you need to understand why you have to get. Why you gotta get? You gotta get. Go on, get. You gotta get. You gotta get. Uh, I had to understand it. I don't know if you're like me, but something needs to do more than just sound nice. I need to believe that it's worth embracing on a level that can almost be proven, right? I need some of the science, and that's what really helped me. Now, I recently was reminded of this have-to-get-to shift by an illustrator and an artist named Scott Erickson. He goes by Scott the Painter on Instagram. He's a, a friendly colleague, acquaintance that I know from the internet. I've met him in real life, talked to him on the phone a couple times. I don't know him super well, but uh, I'm inspired by the multifacets of his creative practice because he does uh, public speaking events, he does illustration, and he shows up online with writing. We have a similar practice in a lot of ways. And so over the past couple of years, we've started to compare notes a little bit. And he has a painting in his studio space where he took a thrift store, old school kind of landscape painting, and in white paint, just painted over the, the words I get to. And he recently posted on his Instagram at Scott the Painter all about this painting and why this shift is so important. And it reminded me of this thing that I just heard about that had had a dramatic impact on my approach to creativity and my approach to all the stress and overwhelm that I was feeling in my creative practice, trying to thrive as a creator in the modern era that we find ourselves in. I came across this idea in the book Wonderworks by Angus Fletcher. Angus Fletcher is uh, uh, just happens to be a guy who also lives in Columbus, Ohio. He works at OSU with Project Narrative, 
and he calls himself a story scientist. His background is in neuroscience and Shakespeare. And it's a really interesting overlap and his approach to story and his approach to creativity, trying to nail down the inventions that make these creations have these chemical reactions in the people that interact with these creative things is kind of exactly how I think about creativity. He wrote a whole book about something like 22 literary inventions it's called Wonder Works, and he goes through specific places where writers throughout history discovered inventions, discovered things like foreshadowing or stretching the truth or metaphor or whatever, things that have an actual impact on our neurochemical brain state. They, it, It's almost like magic spells where these words can cause us to shift our moods and change our wavelengths and brain states and all that kind of stuff. And he kind of goes through and lays out a bunch of different examples of these. And one of the ones that really blew me away, partially because it's just an incredible concept, but also because there was a little bit of synchronicity involved, I randomly opened to one of the chapters that was about how to get energized from a story, an invention in storytelling that will energize you. And I opened that up because I thought, oh, that sounds kind of creative pep talk, like the stuff that I talk about in my own podcast and in my work, how you get pumped and psyched and stoked and pepped. How we're going to get jazzed out of our minds about making stuff. And so I started reading this chapter and it was all about how good stress works in your body versus bad stress. And if you don't know, there is stress in your body. You probably know that. But what you might not know is that there is such a thing as good stress and bad stress. There is stress in your body that hurts your body, that breaks it down, that can cause you all kinds of health problems. Um, I, I even believe that it can turn from emotional problems to physical problems, problems with your heart, problems with your body, just from stress. But that's bad stress. And our body metabolizes stress differently. So there's this thing called stress, which is the bad stress. And there's this thing called eustress, which I'd never heard of. I'd never heard of that term. I've heard of good stress, but I didn't know it was called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. You learned to spell a word today. See, you got your money's worth of learning already. Uh, but eustress, eustress is the kind of stress that actually makes us happier, that actually is good for us. We need some types of stress. And the example that he gave of a story that produces this kind of eustress in us through a literary invention is through the book Frankenstein. And the reason why that blew me away was because that was the book that I was reading at the time. I started reading Frankenstein because I've just started to get into like classic literature. I'm, I'm in my third book in that direction. 
And for some reason, a whole bunch of things have come together and I'm all in. I'm loving some classic literature. And Frankenstein, I started reading that because my daughter was reading it at school. And I thought, I need a new book. Maybe I'll read this at the same time. We'll have something to talk about, something to bond over. And I started reading Frankenstein and it's a phenomenal book. I highly recommend it. And one of the reasons I recommend it is because Fletcher talks about how this book was a shift in horror or spooky stories because it kind of turned into a thriller. Because unlike other spooky stories, in this book, the monster isn't choosing to come out of nowhere and chase down this person. This person chose to create the monster. And there's an interesting shift There's actually a monumental shift in the difference between something that you have to run from to something you're choosing to run towards. And he talks about how in the body, the difference between good stress and bad stress, the difference between bad stress that will give you heart problems and issues, the difference between that kind of bad stress and the good stress that gives you things that you need, things that keep you happy and healthy, the only difference between those two things are whether or not you feel like you chose these problems. And so whether a problem or an obstacle or a monster that you're fighting today is causing you serious bad stress or seriously good stress, the only difference is whether you see it as something you have to deal with or something you get to deal with. And I think when you understand that, or at least when I did, I started to realize that all the obstacles in my way that I can't choose to get rid of, they're here to stay, I need to figure out how to choose to embrace them how to choose to see them as something that I get to do rather than something that I have to do. Now, if you're like me, this still is kind of in the realm of an idea. I need something, I need an action that will help me put this to use, that will help me feel this thing that I know is true. And so next, I want to give you three questions that can help transform this from a cool idea that sounds great to something that you can actually feel on command. I'm really excited to tell you these three things. They've had a big impact on my life and my creative practice in the past few months. Every week on this show, on Creative Pep Talk, I have given myself the obligation of not sharing things that are just cool ideas. I have to have a clear sense of how I put this thing to action in a way that really made a difference. And so every single time we do this show, it ends with a creative call to adventure, a creative call to action, 
And number three, on how to deal with the overwhelm and the onslaught of all the freaking responsibilities that you have to uh, deal with as a creator. Number three is these three magic words. Now, these three magic words come from one of the happiest characters I ever encountered, Ash Ketchum. Now, if you're not a millennial or younger, you might not know Ash Ketchum. Ash Ketchum is the lead character in the TV series of Pokemon. So Ash Ketchum is a jovial, almost annoyingly happy character who has this best friend, his partner in crime, Pikachu, okay? is a Pokemon, the most famous Pokemon that there ever was. He's like an electric mouse, okay? Now, you probably know Ash Ketchum, you probably know Pikachu, and you probably know Ash's catchphrase. And his catchphrase is, I choose you. Oh, hey, Pikachu, I choose you, go! Pikachu! Pikachu, I choose you. Charizard, I choose you. Emails, I choose you. TikToks, I choose you. Like that, those three words are the magic words that can change everything, can change every obstacle in your path. Another thing you might not know about Ash and Pikachu is that Ash might be a psychological mindset master because guess what? Even though there's whole movies called I Choose You about Pikachu, Ash didn't choose Pikachu. Ash accidentally slept in the day he was supposed to get his starter Pokemon, and he didn't know, is he going to choose Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle? Those are the three options that every new Poke trainer gets to choose from. And so he's going to go pick up his Pokemon, but he's running late, and when he gets there, guess what? Oh no, all of those starter Pokemon have already been chosen, and the only Pokemon left is this temperamental brat of a Pokemon, and guess what? It's Pikachu. And that's who he is forced to start with. But Ash Ketchum is a master in positive psychology, apparently, because instead of thinking, I gotta have this one, oh my gosh, I gotta I, I gotta be the very best with this one? No, he doesn't say that. He says, all right, Pikachu, I choose you even though I didn't have an option. And so I didn't realize that this whole time that when Ash is saying, I choose you, he's actually saying, I choose you, spell E-U as in you stress. That's the secret. And there's three things, there are three questions that I've been using in my real life that every time I do them, has an impact on the moment that I find myself when I'm feeling too stressed and dysregulated and overwhelmed. And they all have to do with these three words. And they go from past to present to future. And so for the past, I think, why would I have chosen this life? Now, you've probably heard woo-woo spiritual people say that, you chose your parents. You chose the life you were going to have. I choose not to have a stance on that. I think that in some ways, that's a problematic idea. And other ways, it just seems a bit spiritually 
or literally far-fetched. However, even though I don't know if I believe that it's literally true, I probably would lean towards not. I don't really care because I think this is one of the most powerful mindsets to choose. Because when you believe, when you choose to believe that you chose your parents, that you chose your life, it has the effect of turning all of your stress from bad stress to good stress. And so you can ask yourself, even if you don't choose to really believe it, you can ask yourself, hypothetically, just fictionally, why might I have chosen my parents? Why might have I chosen the obstacles and challenges that I knew I would get into if I chose to be this person? And you start to think about all the benefits and all the things you learned and all the ways that those hardships and pains have turned you into the person that can help people with the exact same challenges. And it doesn't redeem all of them, but it does give you an insight. And it's helped me realize that if I had chosen the path that I chose, a path that meant growing up without my mom around, one of the reasons I would have chose it is that absence of the nurturer made me so nurturing to other people. The whole podcast that I've done for nine years, there's a way in which that is primarily about nurturing creative people because I wish that's what I had. And it goes back to that comic, uh, Gary Shandling, who said, give what you didn't get. That creates credible things in the world and it's a really difficult but powerful choice that you can make. You can be bitter about what you didn't get or you can use that pain and that hole that's dug into your soul as a well that springs forth all the things that you wish that you didn't, that, that you wish that you got that you didn't. That's the first one is, why might you have chosen this life? What reason would you have? Even if you don't believe that you did. The second one, this is the one I've been using the most recently and I wish I could credit it, but I saw it randomly on the internet. And if you know where this comes from, let us know and we'll put it in the show notes. But I heard about this parent who said that they started doing this thing that made all the difference in whether they were able to be present with their kids. And they said, anytime you find yourself wishing away time, staring at your phone, you're at the pumpkin patch and you're looking at Instagram instead of looking at your kids on the hayride, anytime you find yourself feeling that way, just stop for a moment, close your eyes, and just imagine that you're your 80-year-old self and you've just chosen to come back and relive this moment because it was such a gift. And I think even I can find myself doing that when I'm not trick-or-treating, but you know, dealing with kids puking in the puke bowl. That is the uh, Halloween bucket. All right, that's also not my idea. That I heard, uh, I saw a tweet where someone was like, hey, it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not my rule, but the rule of the universe is the Halloween bucket has to be the family puke bowl. 
Anyway, sorry for being disgusting, but I thought that was hilarious. But even then, I'm sure when I'm 80 years old, if I am lucky enough to get to grow that old and be around that long, that if I had a chance to temporarily travel back in time to the days when I got to nurture my kids in the middle of the night when they woke up feeling sick, that I would choose to do it. I would choose that moment. And I'm getting kind of choked up because I freaking hate when my kids are sick. I hate losing sleep. My kid woke me up last night. My teenager woke me up with all these stressed out problems and all this stuff. And I had gone to bed early because I hadn't been getting enough sleep. And I had to get up and talk to her for like an hour. And I was grouchy and I was frustrated. And this mindset has helped me through those moments when I realized like I would choose to go back to this when it's gone. And so the third piece, the third choice is a future one. And it comes from business writer, Michael Hyatt. And uh, he talks a lot about writing your eulogy. And Ryan Holiday, who's also in the uh, business writing and also kind of pop philosophy writing, talks a lot about memento more, which is this idea of remembering that you're mortal, remembering that you're not going to be here forever. It's kind of in that realm. But Michael Hyatt really suggests that you create a life plan. And as part of that, you write your own eulogy as morbid as that may sound. But it's really one of the most life-giving practices you can have. When you are in your deathbed, when you are finally gone, what will you have wanted to have chosen to live your life all about? When you think about your spouse or your significant other or your family or your friends, what do you want them to say that you chose to live your life about? That's the third question. What do you hope that you choose to live this life for? And, you know, I think there's a through line. I think the powerful thing for these three questions for me is that at this moment in time, my life is a lot about choosing to be nurturing. And it's hard to be nurturing. If I'm completely honest, as a guy, that's not a quality that is really celebrated as a man. It's not a thing that people think of as a core masculine trait. Now, I don't really get hung up on the gender thing. I never have. I've painted my nails since I was a kid. Uh, I once picked... When I went to go get my iPod mini out of the Target little locked up case, and there's an old man helping me get that, um, helping me choose which color iPod mini I was going to get. I actively chose the pink one, partially to probably mess with that guy, but also because I like being different. I like pushing the boundaries. I like all that thing. That's just, oh, and, and also pink's just my favorite color probably. And uh, so I don't have any problem with that, but I do know that all of societal pressures and the norms are going to get to you whether you choose them or not. And for me, I've realized actively recently that I'm going to choose nurturing. I'm going to face the challenges and the stress of being a creator, being a father, being a friend, 
And I'm gonna choose those stresses and I'm gonna choose to move through them in the most nurturing, affirming, loving way that I can. And I think those three magic words of I choose you, I choose this problem, I choose to make this podcast, I choose to make this the best possible scenario I can simply by choosing it. Creative Pep Talk is your weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. I'm a New York Times bestselling picture bookmaker and illustrator for clients like Apple and Xbox. I pep talk teams at creative hubs like Warby Parker and Sesame Street. And I make this podcast because as someone with ADHD, it takes a whole lot of creativity just to get out of bed in the morning, let alone attempting to try to create a thriving creative practice. This show is just me sharing the things that seem to be helping me in case it helps anybody else. Shout out to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and soundtrack. Huge thanks to Connor Jones of Pinning Beautiful for sound design and editing the show. Massive thanks to Katie Chandler, Ryan Appleton, and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all kinds. And thanks to you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.